to Your Property Podcast. Uh, I'm Inherit Owen and today I'm joined by writer and longtime YPN friend Raj Barry. Hello, good morning. Morning. <laughs> morning. This is your first podcast. <laughs> it is my first podcast, yes. Uh, yeah, in- interesting to see how it goes. <laughs> Welcome. And today we are joined by property entrepreneur, um, fellow Welsh person, uh, Callum Clark. He's from the county just over from where I'm from, so I feel like there's a bit of um, you know a bit of rivalry going on there. <laughs> Joking. Welcome, Callum Clark. Good morning. Thank you. Um, so first of all, why don't you sort of tell tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and sort of how you got there? Yeah, yeah, of course. So as you said, my name's Callum Clark. I'm from a little place called Pembrokeshire, right in the bottom southwest coast of Wales. I, like many, started off, went to school, um, always, always worked in my own business while I was in school. Um, and I actually, before I went to university, I went to take on a, on a little restaurant in a place called Nayland in Pembrokeshire. My dad, being an entrepreneur himself and a bus- having his own business, encouraged me as far as the point as I was about to go to the bank with my business application and then sort of pulled me to one side and said, right, do you really want to go and put all your heart into a restaurant where the chef could take control. You could lose all control of everything. Essentially, if that chef walked out, you could dictate a salary. Or would you prefer to go to university, get yourself a bit of a degree? So if you do decide to do that in the future, you've got something to fall back on. Um, so long story short, I went to university then and I graduated actually as an electrical and electronic engineer. S- still couldn't get out of my head. I worked my own business, didn't really know what I wanted it in. Um, but I went through and I, I felt at the time, when I was asked what kind of job I wanted, I asked the questions, what makes the most money? Heard that engineers make quite a lot of money. And I was interested in electrical and sort of electronic systems. I think for my grand, I'd probably use a lot, use into those sorts of things. I was used to seeing fixing computers. Um, so I graduated as an electrical engineer and went traveling for a while. Um, traveling is a massive, massive passion of mine. So I know this, this doesn't necessarily relate to property directly, but it, but it does in my journey. Um, I went traveling for a good few months and I became if I'm in all honesty quite envious of people that I met who'd been traveling for a number of years or even just a year and wanting to do that myself and I found myself caught a little bit of a predicament where I wanted to travel but equally I knew I'd done well in university and got a good job and I was setting myself a base at home and so I wanted to have something where I could I could travel but go home to something and I was seeing all these people although they were traveling I was envious I was thinking well what, what are they going to go home to? What happens when their income runs out or their family stops funding their traveling? Um, and I didn't want that for myself. So I traveled home, got back into, into my job, into my day job, um, and carried on working as an engineer. During that period, I found I was, my, my skills are sort of systemizing, processes, analyzing. And I found that processes in my day job I was starting to systemize so for example we were we were working on some data centers for a large um well-known data provider and we were working on sort of I think we had a contract for about 500 different data centers and it was my job to go out to those data centers have a look at how efficient they were how resilient they were come back analyze all of that data um, and then put together a bit of a strategy on how we could save them money make them more cost effective more energy efficient um, and also more resilient so that if something happened one of the data centers were taken out as i was making that more efficient i started to realize that those spreadsheets that i'd created one of them even had sort of i'd done some programming so there was menus that came up that asked questions they input the answers and it did the calculations it also then 
linked it through into a PowerPoint presentation, which did the report. And I found that then this, by this time I'd been sort of promoted as well. Um, so I found that the graduate engineers that just come out of university then were taking that spreadsheet, taking the menus, creating the reports, which meant that I could do more of other work. The company made more money and I'd obviously saved the company time, but I was still spending the same time on the same wage doing other, other jobs. And that kind of reinforced my mindset in terms of what in my own business, because I thought if I was doing that in my own business, I'd be saving myself the time, I'd be making myself more money, and I'd be more free to do the things that I wanted to do. So that, that never actually left my mindset. And d- during this time, I was having some emails come into my account from a well-known property education company. Well, I wasn't really reading them, but they were certain that tweaked my interest to the point where I was putting them into a separate folder. I was letting them build up. I was having a sort of read of the subject line. If it was really interesting, I might pop in and have a bit more of a read of the email, but I wasn't really getting too into it. But I, but I knew that there was something about that that I was interested in. I think the, the switch point for me was one day there was a day where I was, I was cycling into work really early. It was about... Well, I say really early, not, not now to my standard, but at the time it was about six o'clock in the morning. Pouring with rain, put all my waterproofs on, cycled into work, went up the elevator. As I walked into the room, there was a sort of small light on in the back of the room. And there was a gentleman there. He must have been about 40, 45 years old. He was one of the sort of more experienced, if you like, in the room. If anybody had any issues with ele- the electronical, or electronical, electrical designs, you'd go across to him. And I walked in, took all my waterproofs off walked to the back offered him a coffee just we sort of got t- chatting um started talking to him more than i had done previously and at the time he was sort of going through his drawers filing paperwork he must have gone in early to get sorted at his desk or something get it cleaned out and he pulled out a piece of paper and he sort of chuckled and this is after he'd been moaning about the job for a little while and he said go look at that date and the date was sort of, I think it was between 10 and 15 years prior. And we were talking and I'd got to learn his salary as well. And I was just, it sort of dawned on me. I was thinking, I, I don't want to be here in 10 to 15 years doing the same old thing, sat at the same desk, just sort of moaning about what I had to do, cycling to work in the rain and I had to be there, getting there earlier but not getting paid more. And it just sort of all started to settle in. So I walked back to my desk, put all my waterproofs on the, on the radiator and I opened up the folder that I'd been storing all of my emails in and started to go through them. And I started to get more and more excited where it was talking about becoming financially free, being able to live life on your own means, not having to ask permission to go and do things with your family during sort of working office hours. And so I started to look more into property, started to research and inevitably ended up going to one of those big sort of days where they give you the overview on each strategy, but try and sell you a course at the end. Yeah. And I, I actually, <laughs> yeah, we, all, we all know them. Yeah. Um, and, and I realized on the first day there was going to be something like that happening. And it was a three day event on the second and the third day. I actually left all of my bank cards at home. Not, not at home, sorry. In, Probably in a wise choice, room. to be honest. I know, you, you think so. <laughs> um, so so um, on the second day, my, my cards were all in the hotel room, went into the event, and I'd been listening to each of the strategies. And one of them, it was talking about um, HMOs or houses of multiple occupancies I came to learn afterwards. And it was teaching you how you could take a property, divide it into rooms, let out the rooms. I was like, ah, I, I know this. I was in university. I was a student. I stayed in a shared house. I can see how that worked. And then I started to hate my landlord, realizing how much money he was making. Um, but at the same time, 
sort of look up to them and think, wow, that, that's a pretty sensible business model. You've not only got a house with equity, you've also got a good cash flow. You can take the cash flow and use that for more equity. And so I started to become more interested in that. Long story short, as they went through all the strategies, I felt that learning about HMOs would be a good idea. Um, I was sold the fact that, and to be honest, it does make sense. You can spend time going through Google. All the information is widely available this day and age. You can get your hands on everything. Um, and they questioned me and everybody else in the room on how accurate that information would be, how much information you'd have to go through and make mistakes, what those mistakes would cost you and so forth. And as much as I hated that selling, it did make sense in a way at the same time. So yeah, at the end of that day, I went to the back of the room, told them I'd left my credit card at the back, asked if they'd reserve the price. <laughs> I came back the next day with my credit card. Um, Nothing safe. Nothing is safe. <laughs> I know. I know. So you signed an IOU, basically. <laughs> Essentially, yeah, yeah. They probably wouldn't want me saying that because, of course, the offers for the day only. So, so yeah. So, so long story short, got my credit card and paid. I think it was it was about eighteen hundred, eight hundred, eighteen fifty for the course. I. Went, went on the course. Um, there was a little bit of a wait for going on the course. So in between, I was doing little bits of research as well. And in fairness, I started to become glad I had bought the course because as I was looking through things, I was thinking, what, what does that mean? You know, HMO, I sort of learned the term of it. And then I was finding out that there was legislation that needed, needed to be um, abided by. There was fire regulations, all that sort of thing. So I went along to the course and there, there was... A lot I felt was missing for me to be able to take action. They went through the concept. Um, I think the biggest part that sold the course to me was finding your gold mine area. And when I learned that that was sort of 10 minute walk from the city centre, close to, <laughs> close to uh, good, good sort of um, public transport. It wasn't what I was expecting. I was expecting some kind of magic formula or miracle, but it was a relief realizing it was that simple. So essentially I paid £1,800 to find that out, um, but I still think it was worth doing that because it's what kick-started my property journey. There was, there was a lot missing. So things like the legislation, they say, well, it, it, which I suppose it is, um, it depends on your local area, your local council. They'll stipulate their interpretation of the legislation. So they, ultimately, there was a lot of research at the end of that for me to go out and do. Um, and I think this is where a lot of people will either do it or they won't. They'll come out thinking, oh, that's a stumbling block. I don't know about that. Or they'll go, right, okay, so there's legislation. How do I find out? Let's, let's call a council. I'm starting to think of doing a HMO. What do I need to do? Um, which is what, what I ended up doing. And I found that the councils are actually a lot more helpful um, than I expected them to be. A lot of the questions I asked, they actually responded to say, look, you're doing a lot more than most people do. I wouldn't worry too much about those elements. Um, they said things like, look, when we come to inspect, we'll be inspecting because we've been, we've had a report that you've done something wrong or your tenants have reported you're not doing things properly. And to be honest, you sound like you're doing things a lot better and a lot more comprehensively than most of the landlords in Cardiff, which was reassuring. So. I then had a little bit of a routine where I was waking up at about half past three, four o'clock in the morning. Um, I was doing my research in the morning. I was then going to work for nine o'clock. Um, I was doing a bit more studying research in the lunch times, testing out calling agents. Um, and then I hit another stumbling block, which was the viewings. So I had a meeting with my manager because the stumbling block was that a lot of the agents closed at half five, six o'clock. I was finishing at five, half five, and there wasn't time. I did 
had a sort of call with my manager because I heard that some people were on flexible times. I asked if that would be possible for me. I highlighted that I was going over and above in other areas. I was doing some work on weekends. I wasn't invoicing for all my overtime, although overtime wasn't always paid anyway. And they agreed to allow me to start an hour earlier and finish an hour earlier. Did your, uh, did your employer get any sense that, you know, you were, well, I wouldn't say moonlighting, that's probably too harsh, but um, that you were doing this proper stuff at the same sort of time and that's why you wanted to have flexible working? I mean, what, what happened there? Um, not, not at the time, I don't think so. But by the end, yes, they, they did, or some of them did. Um, at a particular point in time, I, I don't know if they did. I think they saw that I was driven. So in the first few months when, when we'd go in, we'd, they had like a, um, a university um, as such. So they, they had courses that you could go on. They, they'd fund you to go and do extra learning and things like that. And where most of the engineers would say, right, how do I learn about making a backup power supply more resilient, for example? I'd be saying, right, okay, how, how do I become a, a project manager? Can I, can I start looking at project management skills? And I think at one point, he, the sort of director chuckled and said, I, th- I think it's a little bit early for that. And I, I challenged why it was, because that, that's where I was interested in going. Um, so I don't know whether they did. One of my directors on my, is on my Facebook. So who knows? Maybe there'll be a comment when all of this goes out um, telling me. Um, but I think at the time, they just saw that I was driven. I was trying to push. And I don't know whether they just felt that, yeah, cool, he, he wants to start an hour early, he wants to finish an hour early. That might be because he wants to do extra things. Um, it might be that he wants to learn more for the actual job. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, they definitely did tweak later on, though, which I, I, I can tell you about. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I, start, I started that routine, was then able to study in the morning, do phone calls in the afternoon to agents and go and do viewings in the evening. At the same time as I was doing that, you'll be pleased to hear that I read a write-up in one of your magazines um, <laughs> and it was about um, a Mark Beale. Now at the time, wait, wait, I don't know if you felt the same, but when you first enter property, you see a lot of people as almost like gods. Um, (laughs) I I know when I was in the training room and they come running down the central aisle with a microphone on and the music going, I was like, wow, wow, I'd just like to be able to talk to them. But then they go to really and um, you you hear the stories about the Ferraris being in the garage while their missus has got the Porsche and so they've had to take the Aston Martin and things like that. Um, So I I hadn't met Mark Beale or heard anything about him, but I'd read a magazine and he was stood there. I started to read it. I realised that he's from Pembrokeshire. He then mentioned a place called Broadhaven and my dad's house is about a mile up the road. And I thought, ah, I can relate to this guy. Don't know whether or not he'll entertain speaking to me. But I found him on Facebook. I wrote, reached out to him, wrote him a message um, just saying, hi, I'm looking at getting into property as well. I'm actually living up in Cardiff, but my dad lives up the road from you. Just thinking I'm going to be down again soon and perhaps we could go for a pint. In the August then, and I know it was August because it was my nan's birthday, the evening after I'd been to see my nan, I went down to Broadhaven, met Mark, and we had a really, really good conversation. Um, I don't know if he was expecting it because after being in property for a while, I know you get a lot of people contacting you, asking various questions, trying to get as much free information as they can. Um, and I know that at the end of our discussion, don't know whether you'd want me to say this or not, he sort of looked at me and said, Do you know what, I wish I hadn't had a few pints before I came to meet you now. 
Um, so we had a really, really productive conversation and I come to learn that he was doing rent to rent, which was a strategy that I hadn't personally considered doing um, throughout all of the UK. He had hundreds of properties um, and I really sort of looked up to him. And I don't know whether it was meant to happen or if it was inadvertently, but Mark essentially become my mentor. At the end of our chat, we said, Let, let's, let's meet up again. We'll have another chat. I, within that conversation, I picked up on, I suppose, the most valuable point for me to where I am now, which was that he was really, really focused on the corporate housing model. His focus and all of his team's focus had gone into that because of the money that they were making from it and the revenue um, that had increased from that. And so his residential side had sort of been it, it wasn't being given as much care, so it had been put to the side a bit. Um, and the money that he was making from the corporate side and the focus there didn't warrant changing one of the team members' focus to look at the residential because he could more than weigh up um, the benefit of the additional revenue in the corporate and perhaps losing a little bit in the residential. Um, so I learned that there was two particular properties which were in Cardiff, um, which were HMOs, which were residential, that were coming up to be empty they had a lot of empty rooms and they had some tenants moving out and um, so he said to me like he said there's those two properties they're empty and and we were talking about it and I didn't jump in on that at the time I left it allowed myself some time to think through how I could help what I could do the value that I could add to this person that I just met to be able to perhaps work together perhaps not um so did you have, you know, when you, it's interesting, obviously, I, I, I have met Mark a couple of times, haven't I? Right. Uh, Justin, just, Justin Whitmore, I know a bit, bit better. Right. Yeah. Uh, I don't, still doing stuff together, but uh, I know they were. Uh, I mean, was there a reason you met up? I mean, because obviously, as you say, people start right. reaching out to you and uh, uh, all the time, but did he want to know why you want to meet? Because obviously, as you say, he's a bit of a god <laughs> running down <laughs> the aisle with the mic. Did he say, well, I want to meet up? Because obviously, you just want to pick my brains, you know, that kind of stuff. It, yeah, yeah. It happens, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got to say, I've never seen him run, and I don't think I ever would run down a mic, an aisle with a microphone. He, he absolutely okay. hates it. He cringes at it. But um, no, I think I'd have, I haven't really asked him the question why he did. I don't know whether it was a way that the way that my message was constructed. So I'm actually in property as well, whether it was the fact I was in Cardiff and he knew that there was some properties he parked up and oh, maybe, maybe there could be a benefit there if this guy's serious. Uh, he didn't offer to work with me in the first meeting or anything. We just spoke to each other. I'd really, we had, it was a good few hours that we were sat there um, having a chat. But, but long story short, it, I, I learned those points of those rooms being empty and realised, right, okay, that, that might be somewhere I can add value. Um, it was probably a good week later where I I'd sort of sat back, thought how could I help. I could remember on the course they were talking about things like spare room. I'd done some research, so I knew what room rental rates we could get. He plugged me into his team in the way that he said, let the team, they ask him whatever questions you need. And I, I approached him and so said, right, you've got these properties empty in Cardiff. I've spoken to your team and learned that the room rates that you're trying to get, you're not getting. And I think you can get more. Um, so I don't know why, why you're not. I'd have to have a look at them. Would you like me to have a look and see if there's any way that I could help you with those properties? He... At the time, to be fair, it seemed like he, he couldn't care, care less with those. It, they were parked to the side. Anything was better than nothing. Um, and he said to me, yeah, he said, I'm going on holiday with my family for two weeks. The keys are in Bridge End. If you want to collect the keys, I'll tell the team who you are. You can grab them. Have a look. If there's anything you can do, 
then you know feel free crack on um so i picked up the keys had a walk around and i thought you know what these these are decent properties in cardiff i didn't think there needed to be any immediate work done with them so i put a put up an advert on spare room and started to test it i knew that he wasn't taking admin fees or anything so i thought right well i'll add an admin an administration fee i'll do some referencing as well looked at how much the referencing was um and decided had a look around as well just at the agents what what agents were charging reference fees and it was it was over the 200 250 pound mark so i thought right 175 pound that's where i'll charge as a reference fee put the advert together included the reference fee and within the two weeks filled all of the empty rooms got a higher rent for mark than what he was initially getting and advertising for and I took an administration fee for each of those, which amounted to just over two and a half thousand pound total. I mean, was he just, was he just not, sorry, Angad, go ahead. No, that was your first like sort of proper dabble into property, yeah. right? Yeah, okay. yes it was, yeah. And I, I was still in my job. Um, my, my job, my sort of, that, that admin fee generated probably around right. about a grand over my net for the month. So within two weeks of work in property, I'd exceeded my monthly net coming into my bank account. I'm just interested, I was just going to say, uh, it's, it's great you had hundreds of property and a couple of these were just parked. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. I know. Yeah. I know. It's been a nice position to be in, to be like, oh, these two, oh, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that, that, that's exactly what I say. I, at the time, in fact, I can remember thinking, who is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> kind of stuff you did there then Callum you know um it's fairly basic you know get him on on spare room and stuff was it was he just yeah. he was so busy that he couldn't be so I wouldn't use the word bothered but yeah. you know it was just he you know it, the effort wasn't going to be put into those because he was so busy elsewhere because you know you did you, you said you did very little um got him up on spare room ran an ad and within the two weeks you filled them I mean I'm just intrigued to find out how come they couldn't fill them so I think it, it was absolutely the focus. So if you, if you imagine you've got a business which is looking at one aspect and it might be making £200 and your effort level put into that is six hours or you can have a team member spend six hours and make £2,000, you're going to make the 2000 and forget about the 200 Even if it is a £200 loss, you've, you've still made £1,800. Um, so I think a lot of the time in, and I didn't understand it at the time, to be honest, I was thinking, who is he? Why is he doing that? Is he making bad business decisions? But now with the experience I've gained, I look back, I think it was absolutely the best business decision to make because you can spend all that time. It's, it's just like, if you look at lettings, you can take on a property, you can make 50 pounds a month, or you can lease and sublet a property, which isn't much more work. In fact, I'd argue it could be less if you've got the landlord covering the maintenance and things and you could make 500 so you're making 10 times the amount for the same or le le less level of work so if you're contracted into a property that's making 50 pound a month why spend the effort on it you may as well lose the 50 and gain the 500 so at the time i didn't understand but but now i do i filled those properties they were now generating more rent we had an admin fee but we didn't have an agreement so it was an absolute risk for me I didn't know when he came back from holiday what he'd say. He could have gone, yeah, thank you for increasing the rent. Cheers for the admin fee. You've done a really, really good job. Have a pat on the back. You're going to do great in property. Off you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> so when he landed back, I contacted him and said, look, I've, got, I've, got, I've had a look at the properties. I think I've helped you. 
should we meet up? I get a lot of reward from seeing somebody's face when I've helped them. It's the same as Christmas giving presents. I get more of a sort of reward and a better feeling from giving the presents than I do opening them myself. So I went down to his office in Bridge End, met him there, walked into the office, we had a bit of a chat and I said, right, this, this is what I was thinking about. This is what I've started to do. Didn't tell him all of the extra money yet that I had. It was in a big envelope in a black jacket that I had hung it on over the seat. And we, we started to negotiate on various aspects of working together. And it gives me goosebumps to think now, because it, it, at the time it was sort of, it felt like a powerful moment, but I, I pulled out this big envelope, which was all of the rent in cash, as well as all of the admin fees in cash. Um, one of the properties was a seven bed and one was an eight bed. Um, so you can imagine how much cash would have been in that envelope. And I sort of whacked it on the table. I said, does that help your decision? And he sort of opened it, looked at the cash, grinned, giggles and said, if anyone might. <laughs> Um, and I sort of explained that I said, I've increased your rent. I've included administration fees and things. And he was like, wow. And he saw it. So I said, my thought process was you've got more rent. You've actually got the rooms filled and you've got more rent for each room than you wanted. And he said, yeah. I said, you weren't charging an administration fee, I believe, were you? He said, no. I said, okay. So my thought process was that perhaps I could have the administration fee and you have all of the rents. And he looked at me and I could see him pondering and I sort of, quickly realized later or found out later after speaking to him he said you know what Callum he said that day that you came in he said you could have given me nothing I'd have known none the different he said you could have taken all the admin fees you could have taken the extra rent he said you could have taken all the rent he said and I I wouldn't have known there'd be no proof he said but you didn't and that's the reason he said he chose to then partner with me moving forward was because he felt that there was a massive trust level there from somebody he didn't know walking in with all that. Are cash. you sure? Are you sure it wasn't the bag of money? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it could have been that. It could have been. Um, so, so yeah. So I, he then said, yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. So I think there was a risk on both sides. He could have not, well, he could have not gained all of that. Obviously it wasn't there before, but he could have not gained all of that, but also I could have done all of that work and not had anything for it so he said yeah absolutely i agree i think that's fair thank you he then put his hand on the bag of money pulled it towards him and i said whoa whoa whoa, hang on a sec my admin fees in there as well <laughs> so, so i took out that um and that that essentially was the start of our business relationship then um and it showed me that reaching out as many times as you might contact people and not get a response with which did happen to me um, it only takes one person that's experienced and got your same values and takes the time out to speak to you um, that could make all the difference as well. So these um, first two properties then, Callum, there was sort of, were you just sort of, did you just become the sort of managing agent for them? Obviously, fill, fill the rooms, uh, yeah. were taking admin fees, and that was your part of the sort of deal. Uh, were you then kind of just managing them for Mark? So that, that's where then we, we did, we, we sat down, we discussed how we could work together more. I offered to manage those. In fairness, he didn't need me managing them because he had the um, property management team in the office, but he agreed. And rather than a management fee, I said, how about we split the profit? He agreed to that. So we were splitting the profit on those rent-to-rent properties each month. I was dealing with all the queries, if there's any maintenance reports, things like that. Um, and that actually got, got better for me then because when I was living in Cardiff, I, there was no need for me to have a car. I could walk everywhere. When I did come back to Pembrokeshire, I had a car for the weekend. And so the, it, it started off 50% of the profit on those rent rents. And then he had a car within the business that um, becomes that it wasn't being used anymore. It was a black Vauxhall Insignia. Um, and 
you give me the car then instead of half of the profit. Um, so I'm getting a gist here. You got parked properties, parked cars. You know, just, <laughs> yeah. just, need that. But just just as a point of clarity, there, Callum, these properties then um, were they owned by him, or did he did he take them on as rent to rent, and then you kind of ran ran them, continued to run them? What one was a rent to rent, one was a lease option. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and how long ago was this? Sorry. This was four years ago. Four years ago, okay. Yeah. And or, or just over, yeah. So from the sort of the start, you kind of explained a little bit on how you kind of got started making money through property. How long was it then before you started realizing, okay, I could potentially leave my job and do this full time? I obviously saw the profits on the on the rent to rent properties. Um, I, 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 my skill is analyzing. So I very quickly saw that if I had all of the profit on some rent to rents, it'd probably take me three to cover my expenses. Mm. And so, yeah, it, it was, it was quickly. It was in the very, very early stages. I could see what property, what profit you could make on a property. Also in the, um, in the training that I went to, they, they run through what, what do you need to, to get X amount? Um, I, I don't think they go through in as much depth as, would have been more beneficial what you actually need because I think some people say right I need x amount where really they need a lot less to get out mm. of your job it depends how much they want it you know you can cover your base cost which could be a lot less than what you're spending every month um so I realized really quickly that yeah that that could get me out and at, at the same time as those rent rents as well I'd I'd written a future vision which which I I only checked on actually the other day to have a look and I realized it had over Two, I think it was 2,000 views, which I was really, really surprised at. Um, but yeah, I did a, a future vision. And within that future vision, I won't go through all of it now, but one element was that I'd like to help my family um, and certain family members with retirement as well. And so if I could learn something that could help them, that was, that was a part of my vision that I'd really, really wanted to do. So it turns out that when I was going around, I was analyzing these rent to rent deals. I was also looking at HMOs because that, that was the course that I went on. Um, and it didn't go through rent to rent. It went through purchasing. So that was my initial plan. I'd sort of fallen into this rent to rent by meeting my now business partner, which at the same time I, I was seeing it as, and as well, when I first started, I thought if I, if he didn't even pay me, it was worth it for the experience because I wasn't going to lose money. I might've mm. lost my time, which I had, I had it, albeit not too much of it i had time but i didn't have loads of money so it's a way of me experimenting in the area that i was going to work without having to buy a property and even better without having to lease one um it's obviously less risk leasing it than buying and then it's even less risk if you're not even leasing it so that gave me some good experience so even if i hadn't been paid that would have been worth worth the while doing it from that experience then i thought right they work in cardiff there was People at the time that were saying to me, it doesn't work in Cardiff, it doesn't work in Cardiff. They'll give you as many reasons as possible why it doesn't work in Cardiff. Some of it was over licensing and things. I, I got my HMO just outside of the licensing area, still within 10 minute walk of, of the city centre. As, as much as people were saying it wasn't working, I just proved, yeah, it, it does work. And yes, I can get those rental amounts. The amounts that I thought I could from doing all the research, I can get. So I then started doing some calculations and I found a HMO in Cardiff. Well, it was a, it was a single property, um, a family home in Cardiff. It's in an area I thought would have been good, but didn't know. People that lived in Cardiff were telling me it wasn't, but my gut was telling me that it would. Um, so I had to 
consciously block out all of that that was being said to me. I, I had to filter what I felt was valuable advice and mm. take out what I felt was a perception or their view. So it's really, I, th- and it's, I think it's important there for anybody looking to start out to differentiate between that because there'll be people that tell you it won't work because it will not work and they're experienced. And there'll be people that tell you it won't work just because they haven't done it or they've come across the first hurdle. Um, so I think it's important to filter out what's good information, what's bad. But I, f- I found a property, started analysing. On one of the courses, they'd said about trying to obtain investment. And I did need investment if I was going to buy a property. I couldn't do it um, from my own funds. I had some savings, but it was literally the amount of probably one to 2,000 at the time. It wasn't enough to buy a house. And I was analysing it. When I started analysing, I thought, sure, th- this could work. And then I was at home and I was with my family and I was running through the figures um, and one of them said, yeah, I, do you know what, if, if it does work, I'd be interested in that. Now, I don't know whether it was because it was my family member or Mark will tell you, I analyze and analyze and reanalyze. Um, so it could have just been me. But I spent about two months analyzing that property over and over and double checking figures and checking figures again and uh, rechecking what the actual stats were on rooms being let to, to people looking. Um, and after two months, I thought, right, yeah, let, let's do it. So with this particular property, it was a purchase. And it was no money down. I know people say you can't do no money down. It was no money down. Um, I bought it at 7% below market value. People say to go for 2025. I didn't. I went for 7 And I used my family members' money to put the deposit down, to pay for the legals, to pay for the conversion. And I then structured it in a way when I got my mortgage that I actually ended up with £15,000 cash in my bank account. Um, So not only was it no money down, but I somehow had this £15,000 cash in my bank account. And did you then use that to kind of progress or did you keep that and be like, oh, I got money, I'm going to go on all day? <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I, am, I, I like to think I'm sensible with money, so I, I didn't go and blow it all. I looked sensibly. I thought, right, what, what are my outgoings? At the time, I think my costs were about £1,500 a month that I needed. So for food, for um, a mortgage for all my, all my costs to be able to live. So, so not including going out drinking or going on holiday or having nice cars. Um, it was right. What, what, what do I need? And I'd been sensible in fairness up to the build up to that, where I think the only thing I was properly really contracted into was a mobile phone bill. Um, so I didn't have a car on lease. As you know, I had a car um, <laughs> from, from the rent to rent. So I worked out it was about one and a half. So that 15,000 was going to, allow me to live depending on how I spent it for six to 10 months. Um, I'm, then... I'm assuming Mark, that, that uh, I'm sorry, Callum, that because um, you've been talking about Mark so much, I've called you Mark. <laughs> uh, I'm assuming then um, that the 15,000 cash was because of the sort of uh, valuation for remortgage uh, was much higher than the, I guess the purchase price and the reef. Uh, no, so, that, so the, right? the, the investor, I asked them what they'd like to put in. And they said to me, they'd like to put in £80,000 and they wanted to keep it in there. I suggested that we didn't do that. I said, no, I think we only need to put in a deposit, the deposit amount. And what, what I was suggesting was that, and you probably wouldn't do this with a normal investor. I've probably given more than I would have given to a normal investor because it was a family member. Um, but I suggested that they put in the money. I get it all set up. I manage the conversion. I use all my learning um, to get it all up and running. And then we split the profit from it 50-50 and I'll manage it ongoing. Under other circumstances with other investors, you'd probably either give a fixed return to them or you might split profit, but you'd obviously take a management fee for yourself for the ongoing work that you're doing. Um, but again, it's, it's case by case. So 
they wanted to put in a £2,000 um, and they wanted to keep it in that property. So they, I said that the, the house we worked out, we their market value was 160-ish thousand pound. I agreed a, a sale at 149,000. The conversion was about 11 and a half thousand. So total, we were looking at about 160,000. So they wanted to put in half of that. So they invested 80,000, which meant that I needed to somehow cover the other 80, which was in the form of a, a mortgage. Um, when I then did the mortgage, I looked at it, sat down with the mortgage advisor as well. And we, we tweaked it so that I was paying more on the mortgage for the extra 15. So essentially a very, very low cost loan. Yep. And then over, over the term of that, it can be either paid back extra on the mortgage, which then obviously pays it back, um, or it could be held up in savings. All I needed to know was that the investors put in 80 and they can get their 80 back um, and that we could split the profit. So once that happened, I realized, yeah, I could live for six to 10 months and I could do that quite comfortably. Um, the next thing I needed to know was, right, can I get enough income over that time then to take over so that I haven't got to go back into a job, um, which I felt that I could comfortably do. Um, from the experience of what I'd done already. So once once we sort of done that, I realized that, and, and, and we'd filled it. So I actually took um, a room in the house at the time. So I was had one of the rooms and then the rest were lodges. But within the, so I've got a house account for that, that particular house so that all everything's reconciled essentially. Um, and if ever the investor wants to have a look at what's gone in and out, it's really easy for me to send that across to them. Mm. Um, so I had that house account. So I was actually, for that room, I was paying in the rent to that account, albeit later I was getting half of it back. So in, from my perception, I'd just cut down my living costs from what they were before. And obviously then I was in that house to, to manage it, make sure everything was fine, um, make sure all the tenants are happy, but also there's no damage and everybody's behaving and it's been treated right. I mean, it's a great thing to do for family. I think you mentioned that before, didn't you? That somebody's put in 80K, they've got it back, uh, as you say, for the mortgages and stuff, and they're still getting an income. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I've actually suggested pulling some of it back out for them so that they get that money back and then they pay X amount a month. But the view is, well, why would I pay money for money when I can put the money in? Um, mm. Which, which I know is a different view to the majority in the property industry at the moment. Um, they, they don't invest, they're not experienced investors, but that's, they feel more secure doing that than taking out extra money um, and paying so for you it. So uh, the investor's still got 80K in there, did you say earlier? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that's, okay. that's still in there. Um, the property value over the number of years has increased as well. So, and, we, and we've agreed that if the house is ever sold, they get all of their 80,000 back first and then we'll split any equity 50, 50 mm. as well. Yeah. As you say, everybody's different, you know, uh, yeah. more sophisticated investors would, would say, you know, let's get that 80K back out and yeah. then just rinse and repeat. But as you say, exactly. Yeah. Different, yeah. Aren't they? yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and as well, I probably now ask for less to be able to pay the deposit, but I'd give them a fixed return on that. Uh, not, not for family. I'd still do it the same way with my family because I want to help my family. Mm -hmm. um, but if, if it was an investment from somebody that I don't have a, a good rapport with or, or somebody, you know, a third party that wants to invest. And again, it, it depends what they're looking for. They may want 50% of the return and to do that yeah. and not invest with you unless 
and you can make that decision. Or they might say, well, I want 6%, 8%, 12%. And I, that could be open-ended or I only want it in there for four months. It, it all depends, doesn't it, on what they want. So, yeah, so, that, so that's, that's in there. I can't, I can't remember where I was now. Um, yeah, sorry. So, so once it was all filled and I was in there, I realised after, and it, it, it wasn't overly a load of tenants, but having the tenants that I did from all of those properties, that I wasn't going to be able to manage that and travel, which if I bring myself back to what I really wanted when I was travelling, I wanted to be able to travel, but I have something to come back to. I saw VA property as being the vehicle to be able to allow me to do that by having these properties and their so-called passive income that's sold to everybody. But I realised once I had all those tenants, they need managing. And I wasn't going to be able to be travelling and being able to be in areas where I had no phone signal and manage those tenants myself. So it needed to happen. As I said, a skill set is analysis. I'm also quite tight, so I didn't want to pay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so paying an agent to manage them was completely out of the question for me. So my business partner being sort of visionary and me being tight, we thought it would be a great idea to set up a letting agent ourselves, put staff in. Um, we were already obviously doing property management or my business partner was on the corporate side. Um, so set up a letting agency, get it systemized, put some staff in there and then job done or at least I thought it was going to be that easy we set up the lettings agency the the idea was that more opportunities would come because you're linking in with more investors more landlords and you're there to be seen in the area it was that you'd make money from properties that you wouldn't have made money from because if it's a landlord they're letting it themselves you you may or may not be able to lease it off them but if they're with an agent they prefer families that you're not so you you will get properties in that you wouldn't have made money from before albeit that might only be 50 200 pound a month but also when you're in that position you're in a position where you can spot a lot of opportunities as well so not only might you have somebody come into you with opportunities but you might see that you're marketing a property it's not being let it's because it needs some work the landlord can't afford to do the work on it so why not go to that landlord offer to lease it off him and do the work yourself and then sublet it on um it's turned out it has provided a lot of opportunities to us in the line of properties as well as investment so it it, it did all of that but it was also a hell of a lot harder work than i thought like i said the idea was to bring in the staff to systemize it make money from other properties so we did that we grew it we systemized it we systemized it so much that we were actually able to sell it um not as a franchise but very similar as a brand license um, we went into, from area, I think it was about 15 cities around the UK. Um, but we lost track of what we wanted. I wanted to travel. I wanted to have a mm. being coming out. I'd, I'd inadvertently ended up setting a, let, not just a lettings agency, but a national brand and lettings agency, training other people how to do what we were doing. Mm. Were you um, still um, balancing your job at this point, or did you... Uh sort of quit that no sorry yeah I mean I miss I missed that out didn't I probably one of the most important bits <laughs> um so when that 15,000 went into my account and I evaluated everything had a look at what I could do had a look at what um was viable in terms of income streams so it was a mixture at the time of rent to rent of lettings income and then on, t- on top of that I was involved in the academy as well that we were running I didn't feel that I had enough experience rightly to train people. 
Um, but I did become a business partner in that business. So Mark was um, doing a lot of the training. We had other trainers there as well. And then the profit that was made from that, I was a business partner in it and could take an income from. So it was a mix of the training income, the lettings income, the HMO income. Um, and I felt that from those I could. So one day I, I was listening to Tony Robbins. I was at my seat in work, um, listening to Tony Robbins while I was working on a load of engineering drawings. Um, I'd been thinking over and over, right, I need to, I need to hand in my notes. I need to hand in my notes, but I need to pick up that courage. And there was one particular track that I was listening to Tony Robbins on. It gives me goose pimples now as well. And just before that, I'd been to a spiritualist as well, which had reinforced that my granddad had said, listen to your heart and do it. So my head at the time was going, oh, can I do it? Can I do it? Can I do it? My heart was saying, it's the right thing. You need to do it. So I was listening to Tony Robbins and um, I said, I need to do it. And I was listening to the story where he said about um, a load of soldiers coming to take over an island. They all got out of the boats and the main guy went and burnt all of the boats. Um, they didn't think they were going to be able to take over the island, but the fact that all their boats had been burnt and they couldn't turn around meant that they had no option. So I was there thinking, burn the boats, burn the boats. And there was Tony Robbins there going, burn the effing boats. I thought, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. So I slammed down my headphones on the desk. I stood up, walked towards the director, and then walked straight past him to the toilet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then I locked myself in a cubicle, and I had my, sort of my hands behind my head, and I was there walking in circles in this little cubicle, thinking, come on, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. And so I walked back out of the toilet, charged doors, and walked straight past him and sat back down on my desk. And I thought, what is wrong with you? You can do this, you can do this. So at that point, then, I, I walked over, and I was like, I looked up and I stood next to him. He started talking to somebody else. I thought, ah. so I stood there and I was tapping on the side and I was waiting. And eventually he sort of looked and took, took a double take at me. I said, Are you okay? I said, yeah, I was just wondering, could I possibly have a chat with you, please? He said, yeah, yeah, give me, give me five minutes. I thought, right. So I sat there and that five minutes literally seemed like a lifetime. <laughs> I sat at my desk, not being able to do any work, looking around me, shaking, palms sweating. And then eventually he said, yeah, he said, come on in. So I walked in there and he must have known sitting was up because he brought one of the project managers in with him as well. We sat down at the table and I said, right, I'd like to hand in my, my notice of resignation. And they're like, Right. Okay. okay. And um, at the time there was another company that was poaching a lot of people and I had been approached by them as well. And he said, are you going to work for them? I said, no, I'm not actually. I said, you'll, you'll be pleased to hear um, or not that, I, that I'm leaving because I'm going into a different industry. I, I've started um, looking at property. I've started investing in property, working on that. And I just think that I can go a lot further with that. And they, they went through all the ways of sort of trying not to. So they mentioned how I was next going to be manager next project um that, that i was looking at i was on route for promotion they'd already spoken about it um but this is where the project manager that my manager then turned around and said right to be honest i did have some suspicions because you you're now finishing an hour earlier when you're in the car um driving you don't need to be doing any work but you're researching and you're taking calls to do with lettings and and uh, tenants and things uh, he said, so I did have some suggestions that you were doing something. And I said, yeah, I said, well, look, and I, and I actually ran them through the, the admin fees that I made. I ran them through um, my dad investing. And at that point, it did flip into a bit of an investment speech to my director. Um, <laughs> I said to him, look, look, my, my um, dad's invested next month. He's getting this much return. And this guy, and he's like, right, right. He said, yeah, because in the bank at the moment, I'm only getting it. I said, yeah, you will. And, <laughs> and I got really, really passionate about it. And it stopped from them turning me into sort of staying with them. And one of them, it was really, really powerful moment. One of them looked up at me and just said, you, 
you just want to be successful, don't you? And he nodded. He said, Look, I understand. We, we don't need to talk anymore. I will need it in writing from you. I'd forgotten to even write the blooming letter. Um, he said, I will need it in writing. He said, so maybe think tonight. But yeah, okay, I understand. And then the director left. And on the way out, the project manager was by the door holding it open for me. And he looked at me and he said, I wish you the best of luck. I really, really hope it works out. He said, you're doing something that I've always wished I did. And that was so powerful because, and it's what it's giving me goosebumps as I say, I just thought, wow, that's somebody that I was expecting to turn me away. And he's just told me that I'm doing something he never had the balls to do. And they both said, if ever you want to come back, you can. Whether that's a good thing, sometimes I question, because sometimes knowing that, um, doesn't push you as hard. But the day I walked out of that office, I knew I could not go back. I just, I knew that my I couldn't put my head down and walk back into that office having just said I'm leaving and I'm going to go and do all of this. Say there you are. You go in, you know, to hand, typical property investor. You know, you go in there to hand your resignation and you start pitching them as a, to become investors. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and and I set up a meeting with him after I'd left a couple of months later to uh, to run through a few things. Did the project manager just, uh, Sorry, I it was just going to say like it was just one deal essentially that allowed you to do that, right? It, it was the one deal plus the the re- yeah. So, so the one deal did in terms of I mean, if you talk about financial freedom, what is financial freedom really? The admin fees exceeded my monthly net. The fifteen thousand into my bank nearly gave me well gave me almost a year's worth if you add the 15,000 plus the admin fee you're pretty much at a, a year's worth of backup to go and make a business work so I, I I didn't feel like I was financially free there because I feel it needs it does need to be monthly and residual and then there's the the half of the rent to rent profit as well plus mm-hmm. plus the training um profit yeah. income. Yeah, you're right, actually, you know, one-off payments like that are a great boost because it can, um, it can cover you, you know, for a period of time, can't they? But yeah. it's the, as you call it, residual, I call it recurring. Yeah. Uh, that, that income is what drives you to financial freedom that, you know, um, which you, mm. you know, you're obviously going to talk a bit more about now. Yeah. 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 Well, you were just saying before I asked you about whether you um, handed in your notice or anything, that you had kind of accidentally replaced one job with another full-time job and that yeah. wasn't exactly what you had gone into property to do in the first place and no, I think that's quite no. a common thing that yeah. happens to a lot of people so sort of how yeah. did you crawl out of that well yes yeah, so, yeah you rightly said I, I did I started to become fed up I started to feel worn out I started to lose what you know all of when I first went into property it was all of that excitement and the drive and it didn't matter waking I was waking up at about half past three in the morning in the gym for about quarter to four in the office oh, six, God. You know, and, and it, was, it was that but but you I, were I, that person <laughs> I was that person yeah <laughs> and then I was in the office until about whew, seven eight o'clock at night driving back which was a 40 minute drive eating going to sleep and doing the same the next day but I wasn't tired there was all of that drive and hunger I just wasn't tired and I'd started to lose that um, I'd lost track. I was feeling fed up, and the let inside it, it wasn't really making money. Um, there's the fifty odd quids, but by the time you take the time to train people that were doing it, um, also within the franchises, the people we'd taken on weren't always the best fit. Not only were sort of some of them not a great fit for us, some of them were, we weren't a, be- a good fit for. Some of them did really, really well. Um, 
but I think all of that caused us to reassess the situation. Um, at the same time, as all of that was happening, we were obviously picking up more rent to rents. Um, and my business partner, not, not myself, but my business partner, um, had been doing serviced accommodation with corporate clients for about 10 years um, in one way or another. And we felt that we could use that to create a platform to, for multiple reasons, to hold stock, but also managing serviced accommodation provides a higher management fee than normal lettings. Um, and it's linked then with the corporate side as well. So if you've got stock and you've got a corporate client, um, that they can obviously come together. So we had a good chat. We obviously had, um, we had the rent to rents. We had the, the purchased HMO property that obviously I, that wasn't with me and Mark, that was just me and my family member. We had the training. So, and, and now we were looking at the service, com, the service accommodation. So we had a good chat and we decided that we worked really, really well together. We tested it over the years um, and realized we had the same values, the same ethics. None of us would ever go out to do any harm to anybody or any kind of biz, bad business. So we agreed that we'd bring all of it together. So we'd bring the lettings, the corporate housing and the service accommodation all together. And we'd both become a part of all of that as business partners. So bringing all of that together and reducing the letting side. So we, we still do lettings, but it's in Pembrokeshire and um, we've got a part-time member of staff there that can run that. We don't really have much involvement in the letting side now, um, but it's there and it still, it still does bring opportunities in, in, in Pembrokeshire. Um, only the other day we had somebody walk in offering us 50 properties to sell. Um, I mean, in, in the last, in the last two months, we've had an investor walk in, offer us money. We've had, um, a developer come in and offer us sales properties. And of course we have landlords walk in. So it still brings an oh, opportunity. I just thought there was so much going on in Pembrokeshire. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, so, and, it, and it's quite funny as well, because when people walk into the shop, they obviously don't expect that you're doing so much. They think that it's just the lettings in that town and, and it is a small town as well. Um, so we felt that bringing all of that together could mean that all the teams work together. It means that we can look, to, well, I, I'm looking to replace myself as well. And of, of course, it was all, all of the corporate side was already systemized. Mark was spending sort of, I think it was half a day a month or something um, in that business before. Um, the lettings, I was, it, it was systemized in terms of processes, procedures, but I was still working a lot in it um, and the rent rents. We thought, bring it all together. And as we have, I've sort of now, we, we felt that there was a need and a requirement in Sweden. We felt that our model with it all brought together could work out there. Um, we thought it was going to be difficult, but didn't know how difficult. Um, and we had some orders out there with some of our corporate clients. So I then flew out to meet some clients that I hadn't met before. And see see if there was a way of making our model work so i spent some time out there it was a completely new environment completely out of my comfort zone um we knew some investors out there that we've been working with in the uk so i went around a few investors um to chat to them pick up some of their local knowledge get to learn about the areas um and we further we'd been working with one particular investor for about 18 months and we further partnered with them out there um to grow to grow the model. So the whole thing with Sweden, uh, Callum, came about, it sounds like it came about because you already had those investors 
working with you in the UK and they, did they want to find out what could work in, in Sweden? Is that kind of how the Swedish connection? It, it was a mix. So we've got a lot of different corporate clients um, and they will operate in the UK, but also throughout Europe and globally. Um, so we had clients asking us if we could help them in Sweden because they were finding it particularly difficult. We had an investor we were working with in the UK that we built a relationship with over time. And so I flew out and married the two up. The investors didn't know our strategy. They don't understand rent to rent and things or didn't. Um, so I've married the two up and then provided the sort of experience and the education to push that forward and grow it out there with them. So I think, um, which sort of leads me into my time now moving forward, um, which is taking my skill sets, which are analyzing and um, procedures systems and taking what we've grew and systemized here and making that work in Sweden. But we can't take it exactly because there are a lot of differences out there. Um, and changes but we can take a lot of what we've done and make it work and it has been really really successful out there it is growing really quickly out there as well so we've we've we're growing that um obviously i keep on mentioning that my passion is travel it allows me to travel out to sweden so i've been traveling into a couple of countries recently throughout europe so I, i'm able to then travel out to sweden see sweden at the same time setting all of that up um, and we've also recently um taken on a chateau in the south of france which is between Carcassonne and um, Toulouse. And so I'll also be going out there to create which what we're calling a lifestyle model. Um, so we're seeing the chateau as a part of a lifestyle and me and my business partner now are looking to grow that. So we're starting in France. It's a chateau. It can be leased as a full chateau. We'll be running events there as well. And so using that then not only to produce an income, but as a, as a lifestyle to go out to. So I can go out there with my family, with my fiance, and my business partner can also go out there with his family and friends, and it could be used to go around. I am going to be basing myself there with my fiance for a little while. It's completely new to us. We've never taken on a chateau before. The concept is very similar. We obviously do serviced accommodation, um, and we manage it throughout all of the UK. And so with us being based in France, it means I can use my skill set for systemization analysis processes, get that all to build a model to then replicate elsewhere throughout the world. While, I, while we're in France, it'll also allow me to further progress my passion of traveling where I can obviously go around France, but also into Spain easily across to Italy. Um, so we're closer to all of that. Obviously the weather will be a lot better in spring and summer. Um, <laughs> but that, that's sort of where, yeah, I'm headed to now to do that and grow the, corporate housing element throughout throughout Europe. I mean, I, I, I had mentioned this earlier that, you know, when you got into the whole lettings thing, you became so busy that you, you, got, you got away from what you really want, wanted to, to do, which was travel. Do you yeah. think you can marry this thing better this time in the sense that you've already sort of said that you've got European clients, but um, your focus at the moment is Sweden, but yeah. could it become another, you know, monster where you're sort of covering lots of areas of Europe trying to set up all these models. And I understand it's travel, but it's yeah. kind of work travel, which yeah, is yeah. Uh, not, yeah. not always the same thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I don't know, do you, think control, do you think you can control that sort of thing going forward and you know, run it the way you want to run it? Yeah, I, I mean, it's always hard to stop, isn't it? You, you're always trying to do more and more and more. I think it's important always to start at the end. 
So have your vision. What do you want? And when you get there, be quite disciplined. And unless obviously it it will change as you go, but you don't want it to keep going bigger and bigger and bigger. So you're never happy with the way we've structured it now. I do see. I mean, in the last quarter, I've been to obviously throughout the UK. I've been to Ireland. I've been to France. I've been to Sweden. I've been to Finland. I've been to Denmark. And although yes, it's work travel, I enjoy meeting the people I'm meeting while I'm working. I enjoy learning about property. That, that's a passion of mine. And my fiance now works with us and she can come with me to all of those places. Our dog's now got a passport. So our dog can also come around with us. Um, but also it's, I mean, because we are, because no, I'm a business owner, I don't have to listen to, we're, we're normal work travel. If you're working for somebody, you're going out there for those two days. That's your agenda for day one. That's your agenda for day two. It finishes at five, get the plane at seven and off, off you mm. come back. We don't have to do that. We can go out a day earlier or a week earlier and visit places and have a bit of, and tie it all in. In terms of the business, you need a flight out there anyway. You need a flight back. You can travel, you can choose when you leave. The business needs to pay for your flight out there and your flight back, and it's going to need to pay for a period of accommodation. So if you're flying out earlier, that doesn't matter to the business, um, as long as obviously you're getting everything done that you need to do. Um, So we've now got more choice and freedom to go into a country, spend the time that we want to for, for leisure, do the business that we need to do, but enjoy doing that business um, and experience a different lifestyle. So for example, when we were doing the letting site, I was fixed to being somewhere, um, having to work that and also get getting lost in track and not really traveling. Doing this, I, I've already in the last quarter been to yeah multiple countries, met, met some really exciting people, really interested in people. The network's grown you know, to a point where I didn't even realize, just sitting on the plane coming back from Denmark, I met the vice president of um, Salesforce and, and we started talking about a lot there. So no, I, th- I think this is a lot more manageable. And as well, we, we know where we want to get to. Um, in terms of the lifestyle part of the business, we, we've done France. We look at other countries in the future. If it turns out that you've got, say, 12 properties in 12 different countries, the way that this is set up now, we could, me and my business partner, my fiance, we could take it in turns going to different properties. If you wanted to, you could spend a month at a time in each property and travel around. Me and my fiance do want a family. So there's going to come a time when we've already spoke about this, where we will be wanting to come back to our house, but we've still got our house. While we're away in France, we're turning our house into a holiday let. Um, It's in a really desirable area in Pembrokeshire. So doing this gives benefits from loads of multiple aspects. The, the holiday let of our house is going to produce more income from the house to do some refurb work that we've wanted to do in the house, like a new, new kitchen, um, and maybe even reconfigure some of it. While we're over in France, you know, you've got benefits of running a business where you're also operating food and things. Um, so you'd expect some, sometimes your cost of living can reduce. Um, so it, it adds the travel. And also when I mentioned traveling to my fiance, she really loves traveling as well. But her biggest thing was that we've got our dog. Our dog is like her child, like mine as well. We, we both love her to, to bits and want her to be with us all of the time. Um, she comes into the office with us and everything. But her biggest hold up was right. If we're going to be flying around and traveling places, will we be able to bring our dog? With living in France, she's already got a passport. She can come. She can travel in the car with us to Spain. She can travel in the car with us to Italy. Um, and we can spend a really good time traveling around there. My fiance loves wine and there's also vineyards. So that's probably had a role to play. But, you know, it can, it can provide 
that lifestyle. Whereas back when I was in a job, it, it was a good job. It was an engineering job, but I'd been in the office. I, I did have the opportunity to travel around the UK and I also started working on, although I didn't travel out on projects um, in other countries, but you're, you are, you're dictated when you need to work, where you need to be, how long you need to be there for. I wouldn't have been able to take my fiance with me unless she came up and her work allowed it to, and we were in a hotel room sharing. Um, there's no way, you know, we'd have had a, a nine bedroom castle overlooking parts of the south of France with vineyards around it. And So it kind of sounds like that you made your work fit your lifestyle as opposed to what many people sort of, they fall into the trap of trying to make their lifestyle fit their work. Yeah. All right. I, so um, if anybody sort of like is listening or is reading the article, like what advice would you give people who are kind of struggling making that transition to find work to what they want to do so i think i think the first advice i think the first point to note is it's definitely not easy you know me i I, me to be here now and say yeah we've got a big castle in france and i can travel out there and i can try that that sounds great but it's also taken years to get to and Mm. mistakes i probably haven't in fairness made as many mistakes as i could have or may have had i have not been working with an experienced investor already i think that's sort of saved a lot of mistakes but i think yeah it's definitely not as easy as it seems to be. I think you need to start with the end in mind. So get your vision, make sure you are really, really attached to that. It draws out emotion in you and hold on to it. Um, it's kind of like skiing behind a boat at sometimes when you've got the grip, it's getting wet, you've been holding on for ages and you're gonna, you're gonna slip off, um, but you just need to hold on. It gets really, really tough at times. You quite often sometimes think, and you'll have people around you think it, saying to you, why don't you just go back and get a job? You're, you're getting stressed. This isn't giving you what you want. And I have got more stress at times um, than in a job. I have been there where it's not giving me what I want, but you need to hold that vision, be true to it, be true to yourself and believe in it and not allow people to take you away from that. Once you've got your vision you've held on to and you're, you're able to sort of pull through. I think there's multiple aspects, isn't there, to the property industry. Um, a big part of when people start is training. I think if you're going to get training, which obviously I, I've, I've had it, I think there's a lot of training companies out there that don't give you everything you need. And sometimes are they purposely just for cash flow to take as much money as they can with loads of upsells. So I'd say do research on the trainers that you're going to go and work with. Ensure that they do have the experience in it how long have they been training that that's not always so important um how long they've been training there's there's two sides there's experience so if they've got all the experience how good are they at training and if they're training how much experience do they have in all of that and once you're confident that you've got a trainer that you feel can help you so again in in what area of property what are they experienced in? Are they doing the things or do they have experience or knowledge in the aspects that you'd like to work in? And I'd say definitely try if you can to work with experienced people. You may be a lone wolf and want to go do it all on your own. I do think that would probably take longer. If you can work with experienced people, you can learn for them, from them while you're going. Um, they can probably save you a lot of mistakes. It might be that you choose to partner with somebody on a per project basis. You might not do what I've done and go into full-fledged business, um, but you might choose certain elements. It might be that you choose to work with somebody that's experienced in HMOs on your first HMO, share the profit with them. Um, you know, Even if you've got a little bit of profit, you've learned how all of that works with less of a risk and i'd say as well don't be afraid to pay for services i think one mistake i made which i thought i was being really clever at the time was i thought i'm not going to use an agent i'm going to set up my own lettings agency 
that's probably cost me a hell of a lot more in both money and time than it would have if I'd have paid the X amount a month to a letting mm. agent in the area and use their services. You know, if some, some agents aren't experienced in HMOs and room letting, but there's nothing stopping you using them to, to manage it um, or finding an experienced one, or if there are none in your area, using spare room yourself and handing them leads, but at least it's going gonna, it's gonna to help you sort of scale a lot quickly, definitely. Um, and probably get to where you want. I definitely got sidetracked um, into setting up a business that I like, nowhere in my vision was there. I'm going to go full time into a, a lettings business to work in and I'm going to grow it nationally um, when I set out. And I'd say well, a really important piece of advice is to manage your cash well. I always say sort of three pots. So once celebrate, I've been, con- I've been sort of in the place where I'm not celebrating anything. I'm always trying to get to the biggest thing, the bigger thing, the bigger thing. If I've got some cash in, I've tried to use that as best I can for the thing. And it almost ends up where you subconsciously get into the habit of, I, I feel like almost punishing yourself. You're not, you're not celebrating the little wins, even if it's a, you're halfway to something or, and it's me and my business partner, are both conscious of it. You know, we haven't celebrated together when we've gone and done something. And that's one thing I've said to him this time is we need to both take our families out to France. There's enough place to stay in the, in the castle, have, have some champagne, enjoy ourselves, go and explore together and have a bit of fun and then come back to the business. So I think one of them, uh, one of those three pots needs to be a celebration fund, put, put a portion of money in there, set it, fix it. Um, or it or have it variable, but make sure there's money going in there. The second pot I would say have as a security pot. Now, not everybody wants or has this, but I, I like to have it. Um, and that's whether that's one month, six month or 12 months money that you can access quickly if you need to. So if you're, I don't know, your service accommodation, if you've got one and it's generating you some money, but then it gets trashed and you need to use some of your money or your earnings to, to live and, or to fund some of that, ha- have some money. If all, if all of your business goes, and again, some people might say this is all negative thinking. Yeah. I think it's more preventative and you can take it as far or as little as you want. But if your business all of a sudden sitting happens and a load of your clients don't pay you, and so you can't take a wage out of the business, at least you know you've got one month, six months, 12 months for that to happen, mm. you know, to, to bring it all back. And then I think the third part have a, a sort of wealth and investment pot and have fixed percentages. Everybody will have a different number that they want to put in, but have a wealth and investment pot that you can save in and use that strictly just for investments. Um, and then the money from that investment, do the same, put it into those three pots. I, I aren't currently, but I used to have a fourth pot when I was in my job, which was for charity. And I did used to give 10%. It wasn't always for charity. I think one month I went and bought a bench. My nan was in a, it wasn't an old people's home, but it was like, it was called a residential home and there wasn't a bench in the, or the bench had been broken in the back garden. So I used some of that 10% from that month to go and buy a bench and put it there. And it just gave me a really, really nice feeling. It felt rewarding mm. to me. And, and then other times I'd have say 100, 200 pound left of it. And I put on social media, is there any charities that people think this would be good to go to? And other people would come to me saying, well, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm doing this cycle ride for this. would really appreciate it and so forth. So, and that was really rewarding. I'm not doing it currently. It is something that I'd like to go back to doing, but I kind of re, reframed it in my mind as opposed to taking 10% of the money that I'm earning. I felt that I should use a lot of the money to make more money and then take a percentage later of those. So whether that's the first investment or the second investment after or so forth. So yeah, I'm, I'm not doing it at the moment. I'm managing my money differently, but yeah, definitely those first three of celebrating some security, some wealth and investment. Mm. Um, and most importantly have fun because 
if you don't, it's all worthless. What's the no point? point? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. thank you very much. That's all great advice. I think. Um, I think I have quite similar in terms of the pots. I've got a travel pot, a rainy day pot, and then yeah. my spending, <laughs> my everyday <laughs> spending. <laughs> um, if anybody who's listening or is reading the article sort of wants to get in touch with you um, to find out more about what you're doing or to maybe pick your brains, um, how best to do that? Yeah, so if, if you wanted to get in touch, again, that's how I started out. So I'm definitely not adverse to speaking to people that, that reach out to me. Um, you can find me on Facebook as Callum Clark or send, send me an email directly, which is Callum, C-A-L-L-U-M, at staycentral.net. Um, and both of those I manage. I probably manage my emails a bit better than um, Facebook messages. But either of those, yeah, would be fine. Great, thank you very much. And it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. And thank you for my glamorous assistant Raj to join me as well.